What a beautiful song, Trust and Obey. You know, there's power in the name of Jesus, and there's power in the things that he has told us to do as his believers. And our one scripture up here that John had written in the gospel tells us uh, quite a bit, and actually it's Jesus speaking. And it's about the new commandment, as he talked about the commandments, what's the most important. He got into talking with his uh, disciples about this. And he said, in a little while, just as I told the Jews, I'm no longer going to be with you, and you cannot come where I am going. So he says, I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So as we're in 1 John and the the little Johns, we are going to be talking about that love uh, today and and a little bit about hatred. Uh, As the scripture talked about the distinguishing marks of believers. So John, in the little epistles of John here, he really is giving us these tests throughout. These tests are not uh, pass-fail as we look at others. They're really a self-examination test. And as I've shared in the past, there are a, a sermon series that I heard that a pastor had given me when I was a young believer, if I was even a believer then, but his question always was, what do you do with these scriptures? And he was going through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, James, and he says, well, what do you do with these scriptures? As an individual, what do you do with these, uh, these scriptures? And so as we talk about love, we also talk about hatred. And we look at hatred as really an attack on our relationship with God. And so some people will say, well, I'm just sort of indifferent to people. It's not, I don't love them, but I don't hate them. I just, no, the Bible is pretty clear. If you do not love somebody, then you hate them. Your, your actions are those that you show the world. And so we cannot, as the scriptures are going to tell us, have a good relationship with God when we're at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it just says we cannot have that in our life. And so he calls us to deal with these things. And so he talks about two essentials. Uh, Verse 10 tells us this, And this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. He's talking about two essentials here. Our righteous conduct and our love for the brethren. So what is, what is righteous conduct? It means doing what is right. Not doing what is right in my own eyes, not doing what is right by the world's standards, but righteousness comes from God, it comes from his word. And so when he talks about righteous conduct, that means living the way that God has told us to live within his word. Uh, the children are either of God, he says, or of the devil. He doesn't say, well, you're sort of like orphans in between. He says, you're either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. And he's already introduced a couple weeks ago. We talked about being children of God. And what a wonderful thing. Sometimes when we, when we get down and we're sort of in despair and we're struggling or we're in the valleys of this life, what a wonderful thing to know that we're a child of God. He's going to see us through this. He is walking with us hand in hand. And even though we can't see the light at the, at the other end, we know that as long as we follow him, we are okay because we are in his hands. And so what a wonderful thing to be a child of God. But what about a child of the devil? It seems sort of harsh sometimes. You might say, well, what do you mean? A child of the devil, that's sort of harsh, you know. Um, but he makes it clear. He makes it clear that either you are a child of God 
or you are children of the devil. And he doesn't spend much time trying to prove the authenticity of, of Satan or the devil or Antichrist as we call him. It's a biblical fact. So we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to prove the devil is real. The world would like you to think that, well, no, this is just all stuff that has been conjured up in our minds and in our heads. It's not real. We know what the Bible says. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. So if you don't believe the Bible, most of what I'm going to say doesn't make sense to you anyways. So we believe the Word of God. We believe the Word of God and what it says. And again, some might think it's harsh that John is saying it this way. But sometimes we just need to really come to the fact of, of, of the truth. We need to face the truth. We need to stop living in our little bubbles. We need to stop really living in our little justification of, of life and how we want it to be. And some people would maybe even say that uh, he didn't love uh, people the way that Jesus did. But do you know that Jesus also said, uh, you are children of the devil. In the Gospel of John, if you go to chapter 8, verses 41 on, he talks about that. Uh, 41 through 44 would tell us, or through 45, he says this, And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, and I have come... Uh, and I have not come from myself, but by he who has sent me. So one thing he says, if, if you had this love, you would love me, Jesus says. And so what does Jesus tell us? He says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Why is it that you do not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so Jesus, again, in, in John chapter 8, sort of talks about this. So what did John say in the beginning of this epistle? If you profess to walk in the light but are living in darkness, he says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. He's saying that that's a child of the devil. You're not living the life that Christ would have you. Jesus said, I came to pass you from death to life. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it says, behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's something different when you get born again. We're not perfect when we come in this life to Christ. We're, we're perfect spiritually. We're still going to struggle. Life is still a process. We're still uh, being purified and sanctified through this life. But there's something different. You know, when I got saved... All of a sudden, things that never used to bother me began to bother me. His spirit testified with my spirit. Sometimes the things I, I, I was doing, uh, all of a sudden, was like, that's not right. I guess, and I didn't even know the scriptures back then. But I was like, I just don't think this is right. The thoughts I'm thinking, I don't think they're right. The words I'm saying, I don't think they're right. See, when Christ comes into our life, he changes us. He makes a difference in our life. But for the religious person, we just sort of clean up the outside. We want to fit into this organization that we call church. But God has never really changed the inside. We've never fully humbled ourselves, yielded our life totally to him. We're always hanging on to something else. And like he said, you know, by your own devices, by your own resources, you are following your father, the devil. And so if we're born again, and if we have Jesus as our Father, and so John again is saying, examine yourself, look at yourself, look at your relationship. It's going to show in our nature, the new nature that God has given us. Again, not that we're perfect. We're still going to have things, and if people want to look long enough and hard enough, they're going to find things. As a matter of fact, 
you don't even need to look that long and hard at me, and you're going to see things in me that, that you probably don't like and that are wrong. And I ask you, bring those up to me, because I want to deal with those things. You know, in the Bible it says, search me and try me, O Lord. Reveal to me if there's anything in my life. Why? Because I can deal with it. I can then walk in your word. How does a, a young man keep his path straight, says the psalmist? By walking according to your word. And so he gives us all these examples of how we should be living and the things that we should be doing. But it's going to show in our new nature. If we're truly born again, it's going to show in our new nature. Not why we're just sitting here in church. It's easy to do this while we're sitting in church. We raise our hands and praise God. We can sing the choruses. We can sing the hymns. We can bow our heads. And, and we can look holy and righteous sitting here in church. But what happens when we leave? What's the rest of your week look like? And so John says it's going to show in our nature and it's going to become our destiny. But guess what? If Satan's your father, it's going to show in your nature too. And that too is going to become your destiny. So he says that this is manifest. It's a simple, but it's not really an easy way to tell things. And when we ever talk about doing things, again, I want to say you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest we can brag about it, lest we can boast about it. So there's no works that's going to get us to heaven. When we're talking about these things, we're talking about the saved person. Jesus says, I have created you to do good works. I have grafted you into the vine that you might bear much fruit. Okay? James would talk about faith without works is dead. So we're talking about the results of salvation. So I do the works I do not for salvation, but because of salvation. And so those things are going to be manifest. And it says this, that the children of God and the children of the devil are going to be manifested by the things that we do in our life. So again, John was talking about a habitual sin in our life or a pattern of sin in our life, the things we continue to do that are contrary to God's word. We continue to stay in those even though that we, we know that they're sins. And John says, wait, wait, wait a minute. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that if you're a child of God. Now all of us as believers, we find ourselves sometimes in that situation. We find ourselves in sin, but it says that the believer whose heart is right with God wants to rid himself of those things. So he confesses those things. He seeks the, the Lord's strength in those things. He seeks fellowship from others. He goes and says, can you pray for me to other believers? That's the part of the church is we are strong in numbers and we can hold each other accountable for these things. <clears throat> so whoever does not practice righteousness, he tells us, is not of God. Okay, well again, what's righteousness? Well, there can be self-righteousness, right? I think I'm okay. I think this is okay to do. Everybody else is doing it. So we have a self-righteousness. I'm justified in the things that I'm doing. But that's not the righteousness that the Bible talks about. The righteousness that the Bible talks about isn't the world's standards. It isn't my standards. It's not your standard. It's not like we get together and we decide as a committee, well, well what is righteousness? God says, I have given you my word as a light unto your path. This is the righteousness that God talks about. And so it says that he who does not practice what God has written in his word, he says, you need to examine yourself. You could be a child of the devil. Nor does he who does not love his brother. So he's talking to the church here. 
And unfortunately, within the church, there's a couple things that we as Christians don't do very well. One is forgive one another, and the other is really love one another. We have troubles doing that. It's just like sometimes within real families. You you come to odds and ends, and and things happen, and, and we don't do that real well all the time. But John is saying, this is one of the signs that you are truly born of God. That you love your brother. And guess what? If you don't, the problem is not God, it's yours. And so if we realize in our relationship with God, because if I'm having odds with somebody else, if I have bad feelings about somebody else, I'm not loving them the way that Christ has told me to love them in the image of Christ and their soul and that they're a valuable being towards God. If I don't have that in my life, it's not just affecting me and that person. No, because a lot of us think, oh, I can just have this great, wonderful relationship with God and I can go tick off anybody I want to and I don't care and this and that. If they don't want to have something to do with me, that's fine. No, you can't have this without this. The Bible says we need love for the brethren. As a matter of fact, when I was reading through this, I think between John and Peter and Thessalonians, that this wasn't even an exhaustive study. I think it was like 14, 16 times where he said you need to love one another. Love one another. Let your love increase. You need to love the brethren. And so when we look at this, we need that. So Matthew would tell us what? If you come to the altar and you realize that somebody has something against you or you have something against somebody, it says leave your offering there and Go get it right with someone. Go get it right with that person. It's one of the few places in, in the Bible where it says, hey, here's your reason not to come to church. You've got to go make something right with somebody else. Leave your altar there, or leave your gift at the altar. Go make yourself right with that person. Sit down, dialogue. Get that love back. And this is for brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says, if you do not practice righteousness, if you do not love your brother, you better maybe be questioning, is your relationship with God real? Because this is what the scriptures say. Because both of these are essential. Righteousness without love just makes you a Pharisee. If you look in the Bible and the Gospels and you want to know about Pharisees, you'll see this. They had the righteousness, but they didn't have the love. Oh man, they looked good. You know, they looked good. They looked holy. They looked, you know, and they'd walk around and they were chanting their prayers and and reading the, the scriptures but they had no love for people. They had no care for one another. And so righteousness without love is, is just being a Pharisee. And love without righteousness is just part of the evil system that goes in the world today. You ever hear this, that, that um, where the world will say, you know, God's a true and loving God. He, he'd never send anybody to hell. And God is love and this and that. And, you know, we can live the way we want to. God is love and, and he loves all this sin that is going on, or he understands all the sin that is going on in the world? No. See, the two are intertwined. They're really inseparable if you look at it, because that's the character of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, he was fully righteous. He was God. And he was fully loving. There's nothing that you can see that Jesus ever did in the Bible that couldn't be pinpointed as being righteous and loving. You can't separate those two. Real love is the greatest righteousness that you'll ever have. If you really have love, the righteousness is going to be there. And if you are really walking in righteousness, 
That's the greatest love that you can have. And so we speak the truth in love, right? The truth is another word for righteousness. God's word and what it calls us to do. Love and righteousness were perfectly displayed in the life of Christ. People all the time say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live. How do you do this? How do you do that? I say, go read the Gospels. Look at Jesus' life. He has left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. He teaches us how to deal with people. He teaches us how to love people. He teaches us how to care with people. You know, even his disciples, when Jesus was tired and they wanted to turn away the children, he says, don't forbid them from coming to me. He always took time. He always recognized the importance of people. John is saying that same thing. John isn't saying this to to be harsh on anybody. He's saying, what I want you to be is right with God. We sing a hymn every now and then, is thy heart right with God? He says, I want you to be right with God because if you miss this train, this Christianity train, and you've deceived yourself or the world's deceived you, he says, you've missed eternity. He says, I want you to get it right. And so God has said these things. Do you see this in your life? Are you professing to walk in light but living in darkness? Don't deceive yourself. Don't be that way. And so he goes on in 11 and tells us the need to love one another. And it says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning that you should love one another. He says, the message has never changed. For God so loved the world that he gave us some. Love is an action. It's not just an intellectual thing. Probably next week or in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about the different loves in the Bible. But this is an agape love that he's talking about. It's unconditional in our life. In verse 12, he goes on to say, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, we can see something going on here. Cain is a great example of failure to love. You know, he presents Cain as one who is not right with God. And so when we're not right with God, we see things that go wrong in our life. We see things that have gone astray. We'll see some of these things that that Cain had in his life. And he hated his brother. The Bible says where two brothers are, we'll talk about brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, There shouldn't be hate. There needs to be love. We need to love one another. So we can assume that that Cain, along with his brother, had a godly upbringing. They they knew about God. They heard about God. They know the characters of God. They know all these things of God. They had a godly upbringing. And they should have been equipped to love one another. They should have been walking in this love of God. Dad was. Brother was. Mom was. They had the examples all around him, but Cain chose not to. Okay? How many of us choose not to walk in God's word? We know what God's word says, but we choose not to do that. This is where it started with Cain. Cain's disobedience came from a lack of faith. He really didn't believe God could. He didn't believe in God's word. He didn't believe the promises of God. See, when we start doubting God and what he can do, when we start doubting God in the power that he has given us, in, and I'll talk about today, in, our, in our, the Holy Spirit in our life. I'll talk to people sometimes, I'll say, you know what, the big picture is this. We should all, all be able to get along. We should be able to reconcile broke relationships. 
We should be able to experience healing, emotional and, and physical in our lives. We should have these things, but we say, oh, that ain't going to happen. We have a lack of faith. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel or whatever, but we need to believe God and his word in what it says, and we need to walk in that faith. Because if we just choose not to walk in that faith, we're not going to see anything. We're going to be like Cain. Cain had a lack of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that. His faith lacked. And therefore it started him down a path of disobedience and a path of hatred in his life. Cain's disobedience and hatred was based in pride. Well, what did 1 John say in the beginning here? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He was jealous. He was envious. He was bitter towards his brother. He had this pride of trying to prove himself, to self-sustain himself. Cain's disobedience and his hatred made him miserable. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking against God... When God has laid something on my heart and I'm resisting it, I'm miserable in my life. I, I mean, I have trouble sleeping, my mind is racing, it's just, like, it's just like life is not right. Right? And I'm not talking about as believers, we go through struggles. Okay? We go through those valleys, we go through the briar patches, we go through some of those nasty things in life. The difference is, I know that my God is with me as I'm going through those things and that he will sustain me. He's got me in his hand. All I need to do is follow him. He's blazing the trail through the mess. But when I turn my back on him, when I choose not to obey him, I'm miserable. I feel alone. Because I feel like he's no longer there. God is always there. But I've turned my back on him. You know, Psalms 23 is a good example. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, that verse is not for the dead. We read it at funerals all the time. That's for the living. As we walk through this, his rod, his staff, they're a strength. They're a beacon. He gets us through those things. But when we're disobedient, we're miserable in our life. Sometimes we meet those professing Christians that are miserable all the time. Even Job, when he was knocked down, he wasn't miserable. He was probably miserable in his physical stance, but he still had a faith in God. The trouble is some of us, we're so blessed, but we're choosing to walk in our own righteousness in our own ways, and we're miserable in our life. Nothing seems to be going right. Cain refused the warning of God. By the way, this is all in Genesis 4, if you want to read the story about Cain, it's, it's phenomenal. God gives us great things here. But he, received, uh, he refused the warning of God and uh, so God had given him a warning just as God does us. God speaks to us and says, hey, this ain't right. It's not going to go well for you. And yet, sometimes in our disobedience we still go. God gave the warning to Cain but he still gave in to that sin of hatred, that sin of disobedience. And that led to action. Do you see how the progression of sin happens in our life? Many times it starts in our mind, well, maybe just this once. Maybe this one time I can do this and it'll be okay. Or, you know, whatever. However we self-justify whatever it is we're going through in our life, God will understand. And we start down this path 
And pretty soon we've been hardening our heart towards the things of God. God is saying, no, don't do that. It's not good. It's not righteous. It's not for the believer. It's not for the child of God to be doing those things and living in those ways. And pretty soon our heart gets hard. And we saw Cain in his hatred that led to action against the one he hated, his brother. Cain was evasive about his sin of hatred. Aren't we as believers like that sometimes too? we got sin in our life. The world can see it like a searchlight. It's as big as a balloon. But we try to hide it. We try to be evasive about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to face it. We don't want to be accountable for it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want any of it in our life. But guess what? He tried to hide it. But God found him out. New Testament says your sin will seek you out. If we continue to walk against what God has called us to do, it's going to be made evident to all. It's going to be in our nature. Because our heart, out of our heart, proceeds the issues of life. What's really important to you deep inside is very evident to the people that are watching. They know that. I can say, well, I, I love God more than anything, more than anyone, more than this or that. But as people watch, they might say, well, I don't know, I don't really see that. I see that on Sunday morning. I see that on Tuesday morning at studies. Yeah, I don't know. How we walk and how we live is very important to God. Verses 13 through 15, do not marvel, my brethren, that for the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know, I've never killed anybody. I'm not like Cain. I didn't kill my brother or kill anybody for that matter of fact. But I see Jesus sort of addressed his people that way too because they said, well, I've never... The, the, the one young ruler that came up, I've never committed adultery. Jesus says, you know what? If you've lusted after a person in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've called somebody a fool or hated somebody in your heart or in your mind, you've committed murder. Because Jesus always goes to the heart of the issue, which is the heart of the issue. God knows our hearts. God sees really what's important to us and what's not. He knows why we do those things. So he tells us that we really have done these things in our life. We've harbored those things in our life. But he's given us this promise that you have passed from death to life, which is the opposite of what the world really says, right? Most of the world is living, and they're just waiting to die. Jesus says, you can go from death to life. There's a movie I watched a long time ago. It was called uh, The Green Mile. People on death row. I, I enjoyed it back then, but one phrase that always stuck with me is when these men were walking from one point to the next, it's a dead man walking as they were going into the uh, section. Dead man walking. You know, the Bible talks about that. It talks about the world. We look at the world and how busy everybody is and everything that's going on, people running here and there. My agenda's just jam-packed, full of this, full of that, blah, 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 blah. The Bible says, without Christ, they're just dead men walking. Dead women walking. 
Jesus says, I have offered you to pass from death to life. Because before Christ came into our life, we were dead. And when Christ comes in, he says, I have given you now eternal life. And so we have passed from that death to life. And we know that we can have that, as it says, by our love for other Christians. We know that we have passed from death to life, verse 14, because we love the brethren. If you're loving the brethren, if you're loving other Christians, other believers, not just saying, not just professing, but actually loving them, it says we can know this. His spirit testifies with my spirit. We can have that assurance in our life. With Jesus, we can turn that all around from death to life. It speaks to our pursuit of fellowship. When you leave church, who do you pursue during the rest of the week? Are you pursuing relationships with other Christians? Are Bible studies important to you? Devotions, conversations with other believers? Or are you just out in your world? Because the Bible talks a lot about our pursuit of fellowship. Because if we love the brethren, we want to be with them, right? If you love something, you want to be there, right? If you love the Packers, you're going to be home watching the Packer game. If you love to hunt, you're going to be out in the woods. right? When you love something, you want to be with them or with it or however it is. And by the way, in the world today, you know, we tend to love things and use people. It should be the opposite way around. We should be using things and loving people, the Bible says. It's created it a different way. So we should be desiring fellowship with other believers, spending time with them, talking about the things that are important in our lives as well as what God is doing in our life because we can see God's hand in all that is going on. And even if we've been battered, even if we've been bruised by other Christians or or unloving brethren, there's still something in us as Christians that, that draws us wanting to have fellowship. I I never have gotten it when people said, well, I got hurt in church and so I don't go to church anymore. I just live my life. You know, we get hurt in church. We get hurt in fellowship circles. We get hurt by friends. We get hurt by family. We get hurt by a lot of things. But God has called us to something more. He says, you don't just love, especially agape love, you can't love without God. And if you don't have that in your life, then you pray, Lord, you know what? I'm struggling with this person. I'm just struggling with them. I, I got, I don't know. They rub me the wrong way. I'm bitter toward them. I'm angry with them. I got jealousy. I got this. I got that. And we pray, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. We, something just wants to draw us back into fellowship with the believers that we love. Even if they're unlovable. God has called us to love the undesirable. He's called us to love the unlovable, the undeserving, the difficult people in life. I had a friend tell me just yesterday, he comes zipping up by me and he says, Hey, what do you think about like a chain breaker church? And I was like, well, what do you mean by chain breaker church? Well, for those that have addictions and things that they need to deal with and this and that. I mean, he was just thinking like outside the box. He just wanted fellowship with people and he wanted the world to know that they're welcome into the house of God. And that's what God has called us to do. We need to love the difficult and the the undeserving. Okay? Spurgeon says this, Do you love them for Christ's sake? Do you say to yourself, 
That is one of Christ's people. That is one who bears Christ's cross. That is one of the children of God. Therefore I love him and take delight in his company. Then that is evidence that you are not of the world. See, the world says, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, give a little, take a little. You know, we have all these little sayings. Agape love, by the way, we'll talk more about that in another week, but that's something that gives without requiring. It gives without deserving. It gives without asking. Because being a Christian is more than just saying, I'm a Christian. Right? Not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian. I hope you understand that. There's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian. Ours is not to judge the heart. God knows their heart. But the reality of the matter is, is that not everybody that calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. That's why John is saying this to the church. Examine yourself. Look at yourself. Ask yourself these questions. It's something that we need to do in our life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not casting a doubt because it says when we have his Holy Spirit in our life that his spirit testifies with our spirit, we will know that truth. How can we know if we're one of these through these tests that John has given? John's reply has been constant and simple to this point. He really tells us three things. The truth test, the love test, the moral test. The truth test. Are you living what you're proclaiming? So he started out that way. He who says that he walks in light but yet is walking in darkness is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's the truth test. Is that where you're at? The love test. Do you love your brother? Do you love the ones that Christ has brought into your life? The moral test. Has your life been changed by Jesus Christ? Has he changed your life? Has he made a difference in your life? Are you progressing in your Christian walk? Because our whole life is a progression. And those are the tests that he's given us up to this point. Then our test really to be knowing that we're a Christian is a true one because, again, his spirit is in us. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you have a form of godliness but denied the power? Are you sort of like the Pharisee that is like that whitewashed vessel that is so clean on the outside but dirty on the inside? I don't know about you or me, but I don't care how clean the glass is on the outside. I want the inside clean when I'm drinking from it. I want the inside of myself clean. People can think about what they want on the outside. He's a little fat, he's grand, he's whatever, a little abrasive at times when he talks. That's okay. I want my heart right with God. Is your heart right with God? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for this morning you have given us, and we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, we need to stand in that truth. You have given us the promise that as your believers that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And, of course, those are the things of righteousness that you have called us to do. We know that we have the Holy Spirit that is in us and that when temptation comes to us, that no matter what temptation we come up against, that it has no power in the believer's life to overcome us because you have always provided a way out. Father, again, your Holy Spirit that is alive and active in the lives of our believers. And so, Lord, as we spend time in your word, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in fellowship, 
Lord, each and every day we should be growing closer to you. That is our prayer as we leave here today. That we would grow closer to you. And Father, if there's someone here that does not know you, Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get our heart right with God. Lord, if you are speaking to a a heart or a person here today, Lord, let them know that they are loved. Let them know that you are part of their plan. Let them know that they have purpose in this life. Lord, you have such a great love, great mercy and grace for us. And so, Lord, help them to know that by trusting in you and living for you, that they can have that assurance of everlasting life. So, Father, we commit this time to you, this day to you, this week to you. We do this all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.